0: Well, good morning brothers and sisters. Good to see you today. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you back. I missed you. I'm glad to be back, Uh, even though the weather was different when I got back. First you have unseasonably hot and then whatever. So who cares? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. At least least some of us agree with that, I think. Right? A lot of us. I I think, Mike, more people knew that song than we suspected. I heard them singing. When does Derek get back? Tuesday. Tuesday. So I won't see him this week or until sometime. Anyway. Sorry, that was a little business on the side. You got to listen in. Um, Let me see. There were several things that I wanted to say. One was Kathy made a great announcement about body life, really. It's what, what the body should be about. Uh, gathering on Sunday matters it doesn't matter as much to a lot of people as it should just being blunt from what I see but it's in small group especially that you get to really sandpaper each other you know because believe it or not we all have rough edges that God wants to sandpaper us in right yes sir just make a quick correction, on the you're about a, quick correction? Yeah. a correction a correction the James Dinella, Laura Danella small group meets the second and fourth Fridays. Second and fourth Fridays. Not Saturdays. Not Just so everybody knows, second and fourth Friday nights at 6.30. She's in crisis with her mother. Yes, Jody's not been around. We've had a little bit of chaos this week. Uh, for example, those of you who are note takers, all three of you, you won't have, <laughs> you won't have a note paper in the bulletin this week. Um, But I'm gonna give you the three points in a minute for those of you who would like to um, uh, take notes uh, on on the subject this morning. And uh, so is that clear, Danella's group? Anybody wants to be part of that? Going back to the subject of small groups, for example, it's been really fun to watch some brand new believers growing and asking all the good questions and uh, having people interact with them and coach them along in their Christian life. So let me just say this. Kathy exhorted us, she's going to keep coming and making that announcement till she drives us crazy, till everybody's in a small group. Amen. You know how I am. Oh, do I ever? <laughs> but here's the deal. Can I just exhort you? Don't just do it to do your good deeds and check off. You know, that's what legalism's all about. And this valley is rife with legalistic Christianity. And so you can check it off. And I went to a small group. If I'm not coming with a mindset to say, there's something God wants me to grow in, because everyone in this room, there's something God wants you to grow in. Maybe it's enter into life eternal by really trusting Christ instead of deceiving yourself about it. Maybe it's something that has been a besetting sin in your life or something that makes you notorious. I had some of those. Don't anymore, thank you, Jesus. But you know what I mean, where you've got stuff that God wants to rub those rough edges off. So come with that kind of a spirit, and I don't think you'll be disappointed if you do that, right? Okay, so enough exhorting. Come on, pastor, get into the word. So, here we are. I got to tell you, I'm I'm I've been praying and I'm nervous this morning. You all make me nervous. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you why. I'm I'm speaking into a very touchy commandment. We're back on the 10 commandments. Does anybody remember where I left off? That was a good one. <laughs> We left off on that, and I could have spent four more weeks on that alone. And actually, some of what will come out in today's commandment relates to the fact that the church as a whole has largely in America lost the war on that commandment and has contributed to some of the difficulty we have as a culture. So today's commandment is uh, the sixth. What I'm going to ask you to do, and I want to look at it from a broader perspective, and I will give you uh, three points that we're going to talk about. So those of you who are note-takers and want to have that, let me just give it to you very quickly. We're going to talk, first of all, about the two commandments, because I want to thank those who preached for me while I was away, and everybody got the leading of the Lord to preach on two-something. There was two churches. There were two mountains. there were What was your two? Two choices. So I've decided to reduce the Ten Commandments to two commandments. So we're going to talk about that. First point is two commandments. The second point is the Sixth Commandment. Obviously, that's a joke, right? The Sixth Commandment. And then the last one I want to talk about is the inner commandment. Because everything that God is speaking to us in the Ten Commandments is not to speak death to us. It's to speak life to us that there's something that's supposed to happen within us. So I'm going to ask that you would take your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy 30. I'm not putting this on the screen today. Uh, I will put the other verses we'll look at on the screen. Our subject today is choose life, and we find this described in Deuteronomy. The text for today is 30, Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, uh, the 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 chair Bible, the black book in the, in the chair, open it to 217, page 217. And actually, it may be helpful just to back up a little bit. Is everybody in a good mood? Yeah. Everybody feeling okay? Yeah. If you're not feeling okay, you can stay seated. But if you're feeling okay, please stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Yeah, nobody needs to be pressured to have to stand up if you're not feeling well. I would like to begin a little earlier than what I put in the bulletin. That is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not, obey and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. Here's where we pick up with our text today. And I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life. In order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by holding fast to him. For this is your life and your length of days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. This is your life. The word of the Lord. Please stand while I pray, before, before, we, before you sit down. Thanks for your saints, God, who have uh, put things aside from the world today to come and give you attention, which is absolutely appropriate. You are the giver of all good things. Every good and perfect gift comes down from you, the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And Lord, you go beyond that in the book of James and say, in the exercise of your will, you brought us forth, the saints, by the word of God. You brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might become, as it were, the first firstfruits, the, the cream of the crop offerings given back to God. Wow. That's how you see us. We don't always see ourselves that way. We're okay with letting the drink go flat or whatever it might happen to be, but you see us as first fruits. So, Lord, today we're asking that our spirits might be illumined, our inner mind and thoughts might be purified, that there might be a work of your spirit. I have no confidence in myself. I have no confidence in all the clever programs that human beings come up with, including churches. I only have confidence in you, King Jesus, and that your spirit is able to unpack our stubborn, broken, locked-up thinking. I've seen you do it. I know you've done it for me. I know you've done it for others in this room. Lord, we're asking you to push past where we've locked the door. Help us see how we can, in fact, choose life. By recognizing, as we sang earlier, this is the air I breathe. Your very word spoken to me, your spirit indwelling me, that is life. Not all the money we can make, not all the toys we can have, not all the status, not all the arguing on Facebook. You are our life. If we get it, you're our life. For those who, uh, Lord, are curious, looking in, would you minister grace and let them have a sense of your love? Because you loved us enough, as we just sang about, to send your son Jesus to bring heaven to earth. There was no way we were going to get there on our own. But you rescued us. We thank you for that. In the great name of Jesus today, help us, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I'm going to stay on task. My wheels were going around. That's always dangerous. King James and the NIV, the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. Anybody reading through the Old Testament in our daily Bible discovered a whole lot of stuff about people getting swallowed by the earth and people being put to death for breaking the Sabbath, etc., etc., etc. Wow, is God mean and nasty? I don't think so. If you spend some time reading a guy like John Piper who talks about the glory of God and the fact that if he is, in fact, which, by the way, I'll die on this one, he is the best thing in the universe. So being connected to him is, in fact, the best thing for me. And it's the best thing for the lost people who are destroying their lives on drugs or escape or sexuality, whatever it is. He is the best thing. So that helps me understand why the God... De- delegated at the beginning the death penalty for degrading him, degrading his name. Because you're turning people away from the source of life. Get it? See, we, we see it once God gives us clarity and our, and our eye, minds are illumined, then we can see that. But until that point, we don't see it that way. We see him as a big killjoy. We're mad. Well, who are you to tell me what to do? You're a bunch of self-righteous. No, give me the blah, And sometimes we do come across that way. So let's review the Ten Commandments. There's two commandments, (laughs) and then there's the Sixth Commandment, and then there's the Inner Commandment. The Ten Commandments, starting from the bottom. We need a review, don't you think? We need a review. We all forgot them, right? I've been gone a week. We all forgot them. (laughs) I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Don't you can't if you come from a church background where you don't have any fun, it's the wrong place for you. So I believe that being together as God people should be one of the most joyful things Amen. that it could be. Don't get carried away. Okay, so. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm here all week. Anyway, the Ten Commandments, starting from the bottom. Remember, we started at the bottom. When we started the Ten Commandments... We started at the bottom because the, the very bottom command, the 10th commandment, was thou shalt not covet. You start by controlling what's going on in here and between your ears. And that will keep you from working your way up the socially more consequential difficulties of breaking those commands. So we start at the bottom. Thou shalt not covet. Next. Thou shalt not covet. Boy, we, we fell off the wagon really fast. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Lie. Thou shalt not lie. One of the social consequences. Think about it. Not telling the truth. Cheating on your taxes. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever it happens to be. All right. All right. I got to get back on task. So no coveting. No lying. No stealing. If it ain't yours, leave it alone. Put it back. Next, don't commit adultery, which is the entire gamut of sexual sin outside of the marriage bond. Next, murder. Next, honor your... Guess what I'm preaching on next week? Mother's Day. Honor your... Dads, get in there. Father and mother, because that's what it says. Now, father and mother. Next, Huh? Right. The Sabbath. Next. Don't take his name in vain. Next. Don't make an idol. Top one. I am your life. Choose life. Right? I am the Lord your God who delivered you from bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. There it is. Very interesting, is it not? As we work up, and I've said this before, I'm saying it again, that the social consequences related to breaking those commands become more and more severe as you work from the bottom up. By the way, I have a little suspicion that if you go all the way up through the social commands into the God-directed commands, the same effects happen. They're just more invisible for a while. But anyway, we get up to murder, which is one of the big ones in terms of social consequence, right? And just above that, we start to transition between social consequence and divine. Because honor your father and mother is a transitional command. Goes between the horizontal relationship that we have and starts to go vertically. Why does God say so many times, You know, honor your father and your mother. Rise before the aged. I am the Lord. You know, if a person does not obey his parents and he's incorrigible, take him out and solve the problem. We won't get into that right now. But you get the point. There is a vertical relation to God because we're made in the image of God, and we're going to unpack that next week. So that's where the social changes from horizontal to vertical, and then the rest are directly vertical. Although... Even the Sabbath command has a horizontal effect. You know, some of us in our study of uh, emotionally healthy spirituality, Dr. Phil's uh, commentary book, whatever the name. Got it. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by P- P- Peter Scazzaro. He talks about that very issue of the Sabbath and the effect it has on us horizontally as well as vertically. So those are the the Ten Commandments. So let's simplify it and break it down and be consistent with all my predecessors in the pulpit talk about the two commandments. Because there are two commandments. Here it is. Here's what the Bible says. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost command. And by the way, that's also restated clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. So there's the first command, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. How do you like that? In other words, this is the summary. This is the you know, the homogenized, melted down version. Here it is in simple form. In fact, I don't remember whether it was Hillel or one of those great Hebrew rabbis who basically said, There are six hundred and fourteen thirteen mitzvot, acts of righteousness in the old testament law. Six hundred and thirteen. Have you done them all this week? I'm just checking. But anyway, no, you probably haven't, you probably even know what I'm talking about. But here's the point. Hillel, or whoever it was, said, there are those commands, but here's the basics. Love God and love your fellow man. The rest is commentary. That was their take. So there's something about this. Honoring God, manifesting that I believe in God, and manifesting that I believe in God when I treat my neighbor who was made in his image properly. There's a connection. So we have the summation, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Paul writing to the new churches who had been saved out of harsh paganism, their morality was pretty terrible in those books. You know, the Galatians, the Corinthians, all of those texts, as Paul writes, he's correcting all of their wrong thinking and their wrong behavior patterns. But here's what he says. Those of you who have been start trying to study the Old Testament principles and you've heard all of this, let me just put you at ease. The entire law is summed up in a single command, Galatians 5.14, love your neighbor. As yourself, can I just encourage us as brothers and sisters not to be complacent about this because we tend to think, Oh, yeah, yeah, I get this. You know, when I, I'm preaching, I, I know all this, I've heard this before, I know it, I know it, I know it. Oh, yeah, here's where we get in trouble we don't always do self examination and a little inventory. I'm going to be kind of silly on this one, a really kind of a lightweight complaint if I can. But loving my neighbor as myself, how heavy this really is. I can't really afford to be complacent. Have I really manifested uh, this, this social command, if you will, Toward those who are made in the image of God, the imago dei, which we're going to talk about, it's critical. But what what I said would be kind of um, light is I was thinking about some manifestations of how people don't show love toward their neighbor. Have you ever noticed any of those? First thing I have to do is understand that God says, love your neighbor as yourself. So you have to learn how to respect yourself. There are people who hate themselves so much, how can they love anybody else? All they're going to do is destroy themselves and they'll work on destroying you too, if they can. So let's go past that. Uh, there is a way to process that appropriately. But beside that, I think about how we, we treat things. I was I was in Russia with one of my missionaries, a missionary that we supported years ago and I uh, got in Moscow, and Moscow was a city with lots of litter, lots of litter. And uh, the missionary who was walking along with me, he just went off on it all of a sudden. You know, missionaries are spiritual, so anything they say is right, right? So he just went off on it. Look at this place. Look at, look at the filth. Look at the dirt. Look how they treat their country. They must hate this place, or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just listening. Mm, okay. But there's a point. One day I was sitting, uh, these were both car related. I I pulled into a parking space, opened my door, and as I'm about to step out, somebody had taken all the, I want to use the word, I use it all, all the trash from their car, which was mostly filthy, dirty, used cigarette butts and piled it right there. I'm stepping right out. I'm going, ah. I'm like, I'm not feeling the love right now, you know what I mean? Whoever did this, I'm not feeling the love. So yes, I can be mad at that guy, but I have to ask myself, do I trash the environment? Am I loving my neighbor by doing that? Small thing, right? I'm not a legalist. I'm not hung up, you know, I mean, I'm unwrapping gum and the wind blows it, and I go, oh, we're gonna run five miles again. No. But if you do this, You know, my mom's house before we sold it over in uh, Hopeless Junction, I think's the name of the town, across the road. There was some guy who would drive down every morning, eat a banana, and aim for her driveway. It was like every morning, there goes the peel. I'm like, I'm not feeling the love, how about you? So yeah, there's people like that, but my question is, to what degree am I like that? Ask yourself, do some inventory. Yesterday I'm driving down from Albany and this guy comes screaming up, oh, hmm. you know, tailgating aggravates me, just to be blunt. My stepdad, who taught me how to drive, would just progressively take his foot off the gas pedal and slow everybody down till they were like, steam coming out of their ears, you know. And I, I, I don't know that I've ever had anyone, this, this guy came on me like gangbusters, and I don't think there was that much room between our cars. Scared me. (laughs) I'm like, hmm. I'm not going to race for you, but I am going to pull over because you have an attitude issue. But I'm asking myself, am I doing that to my neighbor? I was uncomfortable. I, I wasn't feeling a whole lot of love at that moment. Not for this guy or from this guy. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? Yes. In other words, we never look at ourselves and say, are you one of those A-type personalities? What is so freaking important that you have to do this to the person in front of you? What is so important? Nothing. And God help us if you go past and you have hunk. if you love Jesus, and then you wonder why they're hunk. <laughs> ah, you idiot, ah! Okay, am I making any points here? I don't know. Don't be complacent about how far along you are, because you're probably not as far along as you think. I have found that my walk with Christ, which has been going on for 46 years, continually bashes me into the wall and goes, idiot, 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 how did you miss that? How did you miss that? How did you miss, how did you become like that? And when I, when I uh, talk about our health as a church in two weeks the day of the annual meeting, because I'm going to preach into that, I'm going to come clean about a couple of things. Oh, you won't like it. Nothing that I'm going to get fired over. Maybe. Maybe. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, f- no, I'm just talking about attitude, things that we get wrong. Things that we get wrong. Am I making sense? Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. It's summed up in that command, love your neighbor as yourself. So how do I show respect for the image of God and other people, even though some of them, they really erode my desire to respect them? Anybody got that? Yes, I get that. So those are the two commands, the summation of the law. Let's look at the sixth commandment for a few moments. This is hard. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Deuteronomy 5.17. Literally, let me read Martin Luther on this, if I may, just for a moment. Uh, I have used this several times before. This is Martin Luther's uh, shorter catechism, and uh, you could pick up almost anyone. Any catechism, it wouldn't matter which of the reformers, they all did stuff like this to try to get the point across. They wanted to make sure everybody thoroughly dug into the subject and didn't just superficially glance over it and ignore what God was trying to get through to us. So here's what it says, the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. What does this mean? Here's how he puts it. You should fear and love God so that we do no bodily harm to our neighbor, but help and befriend him in every need. Ooh, that sounds like work. Why has God given us the fifth commandment? He has given us the fifth commandment to safeguard our life. When do we sin against the fifth commandment? We sin against the fifth commandment when we take someone's life, harm his health, harm his health, or bear hatred against him. Uh Uh-oh, oh boy. Don't you hate when they meddle? Okay. Yes, literal murder, the influence of help and health to my neighbor, and the last point was the heart, the inner commandment. All of that is wrapped up. What is it and what isn't it? We don't have the time today to unpack. It would take hours and hours to unpack everything related to this commandment, but I am going to have to speak into a survey dimension of it if I could. It isn't, for example, referring to legitimate war or um, legitimate um, police action, legitimate. It's not always legitimate, Mm -hmm. but legitimate police action or even execution, for example, it's like There's a basic, let me just say this, there's a basic principle of reading the scripture. The reason that I have us going through the daily Bible is because, and I've said this before, I think, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, that some of us have never been through most of the Bible, if at all. So we need to know what's there. For example, here's a text that comes out before before the law of Moses was ever given. You can't say it's legalism. This was a principle God brought out after the flood and the re-establishment of the human race with Noah. Remember that story? That was a few months back. You read that. And here's what it says. I surely will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. From every man, from every man's brother I will require Acquire the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. God is pro-life. He wants life. He is upset when someone disregards the image of God in his fellow man when there's that want and not caring about life, not caring about other people, and we unfortunately are living in a world where a lot of this insanity is breaking loose, right? It's crazy. And so God has an opinion about that. But notice that this was pre-law. This is the commandment that will have the most disagreements, even among professing Christians. For example... The death penalty. If you wanted to talk about that, could go on for five hours. If you're from an Anabaptist route, which means who I'm talking about, when you drive over to Lancaster, and enjoy those little Amish buggies, those are Anabaptists. The Anabaptist tradition has always been thorough pacifism. You're aware of that. Do I agree with that? No. Do I respect it? Yes. They have the right to hold to their position as long as they are consistent and they try to be on that particular subject. One of the reasons I, um, I was dreading addressing this is because there are implications with some of the social issues relating to this commandment. I would be remiss not to speak into it because confessing orthodoxy, the church that has stayed loyal to the scripture and loyal to Jesus, has always had a strong position against certain things. So in our culture, where certain things have been made legal or allowed or are moving in that direction, God does have an opinion. The outworking of which isn't always super clear. So I'm going to ask you to keep your shirt on or your belt fastened or whatever the right word is uh, to know that I want to speak life and I want to speak healing as much as I possibly can. I'm mere mortal. I may botch it up a little, but I hope not because God is for you. Do you understand that? He is for you. I don't want to lose you at this point. There's room for disagreement on things like pacifism. There are issues today about the imago Dei, the, the image of God and man that matter greatly, which is why a while back we signed those petitions for the International Justice Mission. I just read another thing in the paper today about safe harbors or safe homes and uh, how they got honored by the FBI because of their work for people who are being enslaved in the sex trafficking and everything else. And certainly Christians, it's a no-brainer we should be against that. We should be in favor of life and of freedom and of justice. So um, churches and missions have always been speaking into the issue of hospitals and healing and orphanages and sanitariums. You read the history of those movements. It's been largely, many times, Christians driving the issue behind the scenes. A lot of that's forgotten in our re-revisioned history that we're learning today, which is unfortunate. The abolition of slavery. You do realize that, for example, in America, that was largely a Christian movement I, I've mentioned this once before, but it's been a few years, so you probably don't remember. Um, right? I mean it's been a few years. I'm not sure I always remember. Tappan Z Bridge. Anybody know where that's named from? A man named Tappan. That's Z Bridge. That was named that <laughs> He was a committed Christian who was an abolitionist and the neighborhood burned his house to the ground. Right here in liberated New York. Now, that wonderful? No, it was often the believers that pushed on those things. I'm in favor of um, stewarding the earth, stewarding animal and vegetative life. I think that's a good thing. But never at the expense of human life. And that's where people have things upside down today. Human life is of ultimate importance if you have a Christian mindset. So I'm going to tell you a couple of stories, and this relates to the one issue that I'm very nervous about even mentioning, but I have to, and that is the church has traditionally stood against euthanasia, abortion, as a means of birth control, if you will. And I know that there are people in the room, without a doubt, who have been through some of this experience, so I'm just going to tell you two experiences. One of the ones that I had had to do with the political push and pull. I'm not sure that pro-life people are always making themselves winsome for Jesus and trying to reach those who are feel trapped, if you will, in this context. But the reason I'm touching on it is not because, um, in fact, let me let me pause for a second. One of the reasons I love I hope this doesn't trouble anybody. Pope Francis? I kind of like him. It's almost like he gets it, you know what I mean? And um, one of the reasons I do is that he manifests compassion. People assume that he's dropping the bar, but I've been listening very carefully, and I don't hear the bar dropping. In fact, one of the things that I've always been impressed with the Roman Catholic Church is they say this is our position. I don't care how ludicrous you think it is. I don't expect the world to agree with me or applaud me. So this is it. And we're going to stand there. And by the way, evangelicals could stand a little bit of that backbone. This is the truth. So the reason I'm parking on this is to help illustrate the way to healing and freedom. Do you remember the day I I mentioned, and thankfully my mother goes to church to one of our sister churches, so she's not listening to me this morning. But I told the story of her when I was growing up, coming out of a divorced home, going to church, and every time the pastor hit on the subject of divorce, how did she feel? Condemned. Even though getting out of the marriage we were in, if she hadn't, we'd probably both be dead today. Dead today, yeah. Yeah, we'd have been killed. It was bad. So it wasn't wrong to get out of that in that context. It wasn't wrong. But she carried that weight. And my point I was making is she wasn't walking in freedom. You could be free of that. You don't have to live with the weight of that. And the same thing is true with any blunder sin that I've entered into. We saw many people, and um, I've got a person in the room who could help tell you stories today because they were there, who had been through either abortion or other issues that were huge, who were walked through to freedom. And there's a way to get there and to know that I'm released and I can face that thing without cringing. I can actually face it without cringing. One Sunday morning, I was preaching on this very thing. And at the end of the service, this happens once in a while. Somebody's come up, and they're bawling their eyes out. And it was a father in our assembly who had solved their inconvenient problem the wrong way. And the Spirit of God broke him. Finally, he was free starting from that day on. He was free by coming to God and admitting Here's the way I get free. The way I get free is not by arguing with God that he's wrong and I'm right. Confession, the word homologeia, means if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from how much? All, All, memory verse, all unrighteousness. Not some of it, all of it. That I can offload my guilt, my shame, those kind of things. The way I get there is agreeing with God, not by fighting with him. We're in a culture full of fighting. We just don't like anything he has to say anymore. And that attitude is in the church, which is why I question sometimes how many of us are genuinely born again. Are we? Has the spirit illumined me? Because I can't help it. When I saw it, yikes. Yikes. Now, by the way, this subject is very touchy to me, and the reason I don't think our political push-pull methods are a good way, we lost the battle previously when we dropped all our sexual barriers. And I've told you the story that when I got converted, I ran into my old girlfriend. Remember that story? Some of you do. For those of you who weren't here, let me just tell it very quickly. I saw my old girlfriend. I was a new Christian. My my mind was alive with this truth of Christ. And we met, and we thought, ooh, let's go to our old haunt. And we went to our old haunt, and everything was proceeding the way it always used to proceed. I'm just coming clean with you before my conversion. I was not pure. I told you I was a hippie freak, pot-smoking, and immoral. And I was moving in that direction right in the middle of it the Holy Spirit said, you can't do this. I went, I can't do this. She's looking at me like, I can't do this. This is sin. She goes, okay. (laughs) That was the end. Oh, that's because you're special, Pastor John. God had to do that. No, that is truth for all mankind. We are destroying ourselves. When we disregard God's law, we're breathing death into the marriage, into the sexual relation, whatever it is, we're breathing death. Do you understand? Choose life. So we blew it by dropping that barrier and that's why we're in such a complicated situation today. That was one of my stories. How Christians can sometimes get it wrong is another story. I'm riding around with a friend of mine who I believe ended up being okay. But at the time, he was very much involved on the front line of the pro-life movement. And that was about the time when the first assassinations of abortion doctors were happening. And we were getting into a discussion of why this is a war and this is legit. Can I just be blunt? Scripture always trumps your opinion. End of discussion. I'm like, it says right here, thou shalt not kill. How can you justify this? You are off the reservation, brother. I think he came back on the reservation. It was okay. He didn't go to jail. But other people did because they got it all wrong. You're not going to force anybody at gunpoint to change their mind. How dumb can we be, right? If we haven't been able to do it historically, we're not going to do it today. So can I just, I just wanted to put that out there that there's healing in Christ and freedom and victory and freedom from shame or whatever else is weighing us down. And I'm just going to make one other statement about that. How long are you going to labor? I have people tell me, I might need to talk to you. It never happens. I don't care what you talk to me, but you better get with Jesus somewhere along the line. He's a God who heals, but I'm afraid we've seen far too little of it around here. So I'm just saying it as I see it. There are implications. I have to make up my mind. What does God say? I'll agree with him even if I don't like it sometimes. And believe me, in my walk with Jesus, I have not liked some of the things he's told me. This is the way it is. (sighs) Okay. Okay. I'll obey with a good attitude. (laughs) I'm so spiritual. (laughs) You just lost the battle. Anyway, so let's move on. Here's the last thing I wanted to share. There's an inner commandment. There's something more important than the outer dues. Thanks be to God that the blood of Jesus does, in fact, free us from all sin, right? All mistakes, all errors, whatever it is we've done. We can agree with him and get free. Here's what the scripture tells us about the inner commandment. Note most of us here don't want to take anybody out. We've thought about it, maybe a few of our neighbors, or some of those drivers on the highway. A fleeting thought went through my mind <laughs> out into the, you know, one of those. A fleeting, it was, a, it was only a fleeting thought. Come on, get real with me. Are you kidding? None of you ever think anything like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure you don't. Okay. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to the last line. Why? Why? I am the Lord, made in the image of God. But not only made in the image of God, I am the Lord. All human beings are. But there's something special he's saying about the community of faith. Your brother in that community of faith. You shouldn't hold it anyway, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was speaking on this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty. Remember that? It goes a lot longer than that. But even of hell. Restated by John, I just read this one and I go, yikes. Look at this. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Take that. Right? Right? Now, what is the point of this? What is the point of all of this? We can't. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago? How long has it been? Um, that I was talking about the Never Ending Story, that great spiritual movie. <laughs> and in that movie, there's this huge turtle creature. Atreus trying to find his way, and he finds out he's 10,000 miles away from where he needs to be. And he says, Can I get there? And the guy goes, Ew! Can't the turtle guy's a sadist, you know. He's like, you we don't know. We don't care. How do I get there? You can't. It's ten thousand miles away. I want to live for Jesus. You can't. You can't. 10,000 miles away. I mean what I'm saying. You can't. That's the point. You can't. Left to yourself. You can't. Can I, if Jesus helps me? Yes. You have to let him live his life through you. That means you're going to have to go through a crisis. You're going to have to give him the keys to your front door and say, go in and rearrange the furniture any way you want, and whatever you want to throw in the trash, you do it. Oh, yeah, that's going to happen. That's our problem right there. That is our problem. And especially when we're complacent, think, oh, I've already done that. Really? What's God getting at? We need his help. We can't do it on our own. Even living the Christian life and, uh, and keeping myself afloat spiritually, if you will. Listen to this. Let me read one more thing from Martin Luther. I'm going to end as quickly as I can here. What does to help and befriend our neighbor mean? To help and befriend our neighbor means to be merciful, kind, considerate, and forgiving toward him in word and deed. Yeah, how easy is that? It's not. That's the point. That's why I need him. I need Jesus to help me. Remember the thing about the ministry of holding one's tongue? I love this one. I keep reading it because I think we need to kind of get a handle on it. But the word of Christ in my brother is stronger than the word of Christ in me. So I need my brother. I need that community, Kathy, for the spirit to minister to me and speak life to me. Preachers need it parishioners need it we all need it he needs the brother solely because of Jesus Christ the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother his own heart is uncertain his brother is is sure God has willed it that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of a man. That's how he's designed us, not to be these independent lone ranger smart alecks who think we've got it all together. People who do it all on their own, they always come up wrong, always. I have been in the ministry 46 years. I have watched people, I call them clones. There's great ministry leaders out there there are the MacArthur's, there's the Pipers, there's uh, the uh, Rick Warren's, there's the, the um, yeah other ones. They're never a problem to me. I don't agree with everything they all say because I'm right and they're not, but uh, that's a joke. I respect them highly, but I encounter their clones, lone rangers, who think they speak for John Piper think they speak for Bill Hybels think they speak for these uh, and they've always got it wrong and they're breathing death on everybody. Now they need a brother to speak life to them and if not here's the ministry of holding your tongue that. Bonhoeffer said, he who holds his tongue in check controls both mind and body. Thus, it must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. <laughs> Let me put it another way. Shut up. Okay, That's what he's saying. If you can't speak life, and even rebuke can be life. I hope that what I've said today about Some of the territory we've waded into, perhaps, as a congregation, I hope it was life for you, not death. That's the last thing I want. Choose life. Choose healing. Choose freedom. Choose victory. Choose having a clear conscience. Sleep well at night. It's wonderful when that happens. What is he getting at? We desperately need him. And here's the proof that I'm getting at on this about how we haven't arrived. I think complacency is one of our besetting sins. You're stuck. We're not doing well. We're not doing as well as we think we are. Trust me. I'll make it clear. We've been working through this book together. Actually, we're done with it. Uh, A lot of the guys I was trying to take through it, like, threw it in the trash and stomped on it and hated it. I'm exaggerating. We had a lot of fun with it. Talks about, in this book, growing. Imagine. Becoming more like Christ. That's the journey we're all on. No matter where we are, none of us have arrived. I'm admitting it. Anybody want to admit? Who wants Whoa, some of you think you're there. Okay. (laughs) Then let me start hammering. No, I'm kidding. He uses uh, some descriptions of emotional infants, emotional children, Example, they're content and happy as long as they get what they want. Emotional children, easily hurt. Emotional adolescents tend to be defensive, threatened by an alarm by criticism. Deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting and ignoring the issue entirely. They're preoccupied with themselves. They're critical and judgmental. Gee, there's nobody in the room with, like, none of that. Emotional adults, on the other hand, recognize, manage, take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. Can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial? Without becoming adversarial, respect others without having to change them. I had to grow in this. I want to change. I I don't want to change you. I can't. Give people room to make mistakes, not be perfect, accurately assess their own limits, strengths, weaknesses, da-da-da-da. Think we've arrived? Nah. But there's somebody who wants to help us, right? Which is why I want to end with this verse. I say to you, Jesus, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, of course it does, because I have the righteousness of Christ stamped on me, so I exceed that. It's not just that, friends. That righteousness has to do also with what's going on inside. Am I growing in my love for God and my love for my fellow man? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, I've been doing this a long time. I'm still learning how to love my brother and my fellow man, letting him... Change me. Speak to whether I threw trash out the window, whether I'm tailgating, whether I've been patient, whatever it might happen to be. I have another thing for a screen, but I'm going to hold it for another time. But let me just tell this story in closing. I, I was moved and broken. once. One day when I was at the leadership conference at Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, And he was talking about this whole issue of transformation and growth. Here's a guy who's built one of the largest churches in North America. Millions upon millions of dollars in their ministry and in their facilities and everything else. And he was talking how he was going into a building with a revolving door. And he got caught behind what appeared to be a veteran who was handicapped and couldn't move fast. And he found himself... Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And the Spirit just stopped him dead. And went, what is wrong with you? This guy can barely walk because of what he's been through, and all you care about is the 45 seconds you're losing? Let's stand together and pray. As always, we're available to pray. Feel free to come. Who we really need is Jesus, not me or any other leader in this church, but help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord, would you sanctify your children, raise us up, that the, that the love of Jesus would flow through us, to you and to our fellow man and woman. In the great name of Jesus, help us. Put your angels around your people, bless us because you delight to choose life for us. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and you are dismissed.